0: Life of fulfillment starts with understanding your values. And
1: when you know what truly motivates you, you can accomplish extraordinary things. Welcome to the Discover Your Values podcast, where each week we hear unique perspectives on human values with leaders who inspire us to explore the depth of our potential. Now, here's your host, Jacob J.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting week. Today, I have with us Clarence Chang. Clarence is an entrepreneur, travel enthusiast, and he wrote an amazing article about the things he wished he'd known before he graduated from college. And we have him here with us today to tell us all about it. Clarence, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me on board, Jacob. Thank you. Yep, it's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So glad you could join us. So, Clarence, tell us a little bit about you and your background.
1: Yeah, for sure. So right now, I am 25 years old. I live in Berkeley, California, originally from Atlanta. So I graduated college in 2016, so roughly two years ago. And it's been a ride ever since. So I basically started off my first year out of college working in a large tech company, Cisco. I After one year, I realized that a lot of internal conflict was happening inside. And so I, I quit. I went to work in a French Michelin. Recognized restaurant in San Francisco, and I realized that wasn't for me either. And so, took a backpack, went off to India, and just made my way to Singapore. Currently, right now, I'm back in the Bay, and I am helping create a business, which uh, hopefully a lot of investors have displayed interest, and uh, we'll see where that goes.
0: That sounds awesome. You've been all over.
1: Yeah, it's been all over the place.
0: Let's back up about the the job and the transition and making that change from you know getting your first job and then transitioning out of that what position did you find yourself in after completing college and you got that first job and you know there was something you mi- mentioned in your article about you know being somewhat disillusioned you know by the glamour of a tech job and I'd love to kind of know more about what was going on then
1: right so i think i want to go like a like a pre joining the job and then after so pre is you're a fresh college graduate. I went to a very technical university. I went to Georgia Tech. And so for them the idea for students like us, it was the idea like, oh, you're in California working in the epicenter of technology. You've made it. You had all these check boxes. You know, life is good for you because you're in your twenties. Right. And so you're coming to California, you come into this big tech company and you're like, yeah, I've made it. Now it's just a matter of like really pursuing my career and making more checklists or checking those off. But then, you know, you start realizing that the role that you have or, like, the people that you're with or the environment that you constantly go to on a 9-to-5, it doesn't really align with your personal growth or your values. And so there's a lot of expectation, I think, that once you start getting to a job, you're happy. But the thing is that, for me, in the third, fourth month, I started realizing, hey, something's off, right? Like, I have this job, and yes, I'm very grateful, but You know, I could not really come at odds or come in accordance with the impact that I was making at my work was not the impact that was personally meaningful to me. My role was an analyst. So I did a lot of the metrics for Cisco and I reported those up to the executives. And so while I understand functionally, while that's very important, I couldn't see how that was. Personally meaningful to me or leading to a path where I could really appreciate that and relish that at the end of the day. You know, you bounce around and then you say, maybe it's because I'm at Cisco, maybe because I'm not at Google or Facebook or X company, right? But then you start realizing that your case of a small cog in the large tech system is not isolated at all. Um, A lot of the engineers, all the designers that I met through the Bay Area that worked at Google, Facebook, Apple, they're just people at the end of the day. And they're also very, you know, they had their own work, they had their own jobs, and they also. There's a lot of politics that they didn't like either, right? So you start to realize that this glamour starts to rub off and it's just another job at the end of the day, right? It doesn't matter if you're Tesla or Google or Facebook. You know, you're, just, you're just another worker.
0: You mentioned you know something was off. What signs did you have when you had that job that something was indeed off?
1: Right, so I think for me it was the idea of personal growth and the idea of how can I really learn how to interact with different people. How can I learn about different cultures? How can I learn about different values and really respect those? And then when you go into a nine to five job, you're not seeing the same impact. You're not really meeting those people. So for me, it was one, it was the environment. You know, you're seeing the same people over and over again, but when I'm okay with that. But it's also like the type of people that you're around Mentality is much more in a stable lifestyle, right? And and I can respect that because given the company culture, you, sometimes you want stability. Whereas for me, I think I wanted to question, I wanted to grow, I wanted to see, okay, what well, there's more more to do. And another thing that I noticed was that because of the bureaucracy of large companies, there's not a lot of authenticity of self, which really struck at me, right? Because you know when you grow up, you're saying, you know, people always say. Do what you mean and meaning what you do, or do what you say and say what you do, or say I say what you mean. And I wasn't seeing that a lot in a lot of the company in, in the companies, and that just struck me as really off. It's like you know, a lot of times, uh, more than forty to fifty hours of my of my life of my week is just spent trying to navigate this political. I don't want to hurt your feelings, and I might manipulate something, and that just was really inauthentic to me. It was compromising, like. A value that I really hold dear to myself. That was what was offered with me.
0: There's a lot of executives right now, you know, that are out there working, trying to attract, you know, new talent to their organizations. And I'm finding that what you've just articulated is becoming kind of a common thing among a lot of folks that are just graduating from school. They want their work to have meaning and relevance, and and so what do you say to? Large corporations who, you know, they're after you as new talent to come into the corporation. But yet there's a need there that, you know, given where we're at right now, just society, culture, trends, the way business is changing, business is not doing something to meet those needs, at least for some people. Or maybe the answer is that some people want something else, but I'm curious what your perspective is.
1: My case was that when I entered the company, it's a very generic role. And so there's not a lot of communication of what that role was to be expected. And I think that if you can communicate to someone what their role is earlier on and what type of position that's going to be filled, and I think that you're going to prevent a lot of the frustration that comes with it, right? Because me, you're going into a job and like there are some aspects that you know about it, but you don't know all the ins and outs. And so I think for me, it was the fact that I was really frustrated with. Not knowing all the job details that they would give me. And it's, it's with large organizations, sometimes it's hard to do that, I understand. But I think that if you can say to people, this is what your next role is, and this is how it ties to the larger picture, then you can attract the, the type of people who are really interested in that vision, really interested in that role. Whereas instead of blindsiding them and like, by the way, this is what you have to do. Well, I think for a lot of, you know, as I'm building my own company, I realized that a lot of, young talent that just comes from schools. Like a lot of people don't know what they want to do. So what companies will do is they'll throw them into this generic role, right, where it just requires an analytical mind. But that doesn't necessitate that you don't tell them what they're doing. A lot of these analyst roles, a lot of these really generic role names, it's hard for the, someone at the opposite end, like the student, to really know what they're doing and to be satisfied if they don't know you know, what they're coming into. And I just think that's really important to set that precedent beforehand. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations probably agree with you on that because there's just so many job descriptions and outlines of different roles that are just not clearly defined in a lot of organizations. It's one of the biggest issues, I think, for a lot of companies is they'll create something and that won't even be accurate half the time. And then there's the issue of, does an individual's personal values align with that of the organization? And if those two things are not aligned, can be problematic in the work, so I'm curious what thoughts and emotions were going through your head when it came time to quit your job. You know, because that that takes a lot of courage to actually walk away from a big job. And so, how did you overcome some of that?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, no, definitely. This was like the first major paycheck out of college, and you know, again, you're living in the middle of the Bay Area, which is not cheap, right, to begin with, and. You're saying, hey, I have this nice paycheck, I have this job, I have a title. And then you think about quitting and it's, and in some sense, like there's this question of like, am I just running away, right? Am I just being irresponsible, right? What about all these other people who are sticking through it? But then it was like, you know, you have that itch, you have that constant the what if, right? Or the constant internal debate of like, this, there's more, I definitely know there's more than I could do. And so the way that I've kind of framed it, and I still grapple with it sometimes Was that it's not, I'm not being irresponsible for running away. I'm being responsible for running to myself, for running to and being sure that I create my own foundation, right? Because the thing is that I think a lot of people say, Hey, you need to make a contribution to this company. You want to make sure that you're doing a good job. My grander plan is I want to make a contribution to society in general. And I can only do that if I really know who I am. And if I'm really doing something where I can deliver 110% and believe in that vision, then just half-heartedly commit to something because there's a paycheck at the end of the day. I'm a big believer of intrinsic motivation, right? And if I don't have that, if I'm not on a project or on on something that where I really believe in something, or at least believe in the journey, then it's just, and what is the reason is there to, is there to be? And so that's not to say I didn't I didn't struggle a lot beforehand, right? I was thankfully surrounded by some friends that said, "Hey, man, you should you should go do this," and so even one of my managers at uh, Cisco, you know, they pulled me aside and they just said, you know, you know like from a guy to a guy, "Yo man, what are you doing here? You don't belong here." So that was really reaffirming to me to say that, you know, not everyone has to be in this sort of corporate lifestyle, right? And even still, let's say you do quit your job. Let's say that you do do your own thing. It's not the end of the world. You don't just wake up one day and say, "Boom, there's your life. It's gone." Right? It's hard to do that when you identify with your job. A lot of the friction I've realized that comes with quitting your job is the identity that's attached to it. To suddenly say, hey, I work at a big tech company, to now you're saying, hey, I'm trying to figure things out or I'm looking for the next job. That, I think, takes a little bit of a toll of self-dignity or self-respect from people's eyes. So I think it's learning like how do you respect yourself enough where you're okay saying that.
0: This is great for this next question I want to ask you, which is, you wrote something in your article around, you know, uh, let me let me find it here. You know, kind of screw passion, find self-awareness. And I love that because this was written about in um, this book called The One Thing, uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. And it's just a wonderful book about finding, you know, the one thing that you're good at to produce great results in life. And he talks about passion in this book and that passion is almost analogous to struggle in a lot of ways. And so when people say, go find your passion, passion by definition isn't necessarily what we glamorize it to be. It actually, there's a lot of struggle and passion. And I love what you wrote around find self-awareness because I think that's very true. And this other quote that you have in your article that says, stop chasing and just start being. So tell me more about what that means for you.
1: I think for me, it was the idea that, let's say again, young college graduate, you're coming out, people are saying, I want to find someone who's passionate about changing the world passionate about technology, right? And this word is thrown around so much. You come to kind of inherently really say, oh, I need to have a passion or else I can't find a job. Throw that in your cover letter, you throw that in your marketing material. And so passion kind of implies, at least today, that you know what you're doing, that you have a direction in life, that that is something that really motivates you and makes you wake up early or gets you out of bed. But the hard truth is that not enough, like a lot of people don't know what they're passionate about. They don't Have an idea of what really motivates them, because again, you know, you're a 22 something year old. How much of the world have you experienced? How much of industry have you experienced? For me, my journey was that okay, I ran toward tech, and I thought that was my passion. But then I became I became disillusioned, right? And I was like, okay, now I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to work in a French kitchen because I'm I really love food, and I really love the story that food tells, right? So I joined a French restaurant in San Francisco. And I realized that that's not what I'm passionate about, right? I will still love it, but I'm, I couldn't dedicate my life to it or in, in that degree. And so maybe it's like, okay, maybe I'll go travel because I'm passionate about traveling. Right? And then you realize that there's a lot of things that come with traveling that territory that's also very difficult. And so I think passion in this sense is more almost like an expectation that you should do something, that something will make you happy, something that will make you inherently successful in and admired but it's not that because then you're just always chasing you're always chasing someone else's idea of happiness of what is success whereas if you really just sit back and say hey who am i who how do i react to certain situations not just like what is my myers Briggs self-awareness but like really what events may cause certain emotions like what events cause these happiness this satisfaction this sadness this frustration and admittedly, a lot of my journey was being able to say, okay, I thrive in certain situations and I don't thrive in a lot. And that really helped to me for me to be self aware of what type of things that I can, uh, you know, thrive in.
0: That's wonderful self awareness to have when you know what you do and don't thrive in. Cause I think that's a question that a lot of people just can't answer. They just, you know, they've not, that so much of life is on autopilot. And, things are just happening there isn't that moment where you step back and say you know what am I all about i want to talk about your travels for a minute here too because you've done a lot of really cool things and i love that you also wrote in your article you know this eat pray love mentality isn't going to be the one thing that helps you you know find yourself on one big trip and i chuckled when i read it because i've had Three eat, pray, loves in my life, where I thought that was going to happen, and it sort of happened, but then you know, and then I had to kind of come into my own at the end of it. But we learn, you know, with every step we take to learn about new cultures and environments, and it's always growth. And I'm curious what all of this travel has meant to you, and and what has it done for your growth?
1: So I think that I always encourage people to travel because it gets people out of their bubble that they don't even know. Sometimes they're in. And it gets others to interact with people that sometimes they had no relationship to. So like me meeting like an Indian street vendor or me going to Myanmar and meeting Buddhist monks. And so when for me, when I was going traveling, you're removing all the expectations of like, what do you do? Like, oh, yeah, I, I, I was an analyst and I was working in tech or where are you from? Now it's much, much more like, who are you? Like when you travel Every day is almost like it's like being reborn because you can present yourself. You can introduce yourself in a different manner. And so suddenly you can say, now this is how I want to identify. And in addition, when you start traveling, you realize that a lot of these expectations you have of people, of like what are Indians like, Singaporeans, like um, just immersing yourself in different people, with different people, you realize at the end of the day that they're all just human, right? Everyone's just human. And that if you can relate to someone on a very humanistic emotional level, then that's that's the most powerful thing that can happen between two people or several people. And so what that's done for me and my growth is I've been trying to make sure that for me myself, I'm much more aware of my emotions and how I interact with people, but I'm also aware of how others' people's emotions are. Because at the end of the day, again, we're all human. It doesn't matter what title you have, it doesn't matter what position you have. Like it matters is how do things make you feel, right? We're, we're inherently emotional people and we have things that we value, the things that we love, the things that we desire and hate. And for me, I want to understand that in a much more emphasized way. I think for growth-wise, uh, I think it's, it's very humbling to just to make sure that I can understand someone in the most authentic way. And in the most humble way, and always be curious. Just Always be curious about what someone's story is. Because if you can relate to someone on a human level, then you just realize that their story is so much more fascinating.
0: You talk a lot about finding quiet moments. And I love that you added this into this story here because I love quietude. I I like environments with little to no noise because we're just so bombarded in any given day, with so much stuff, you know, you're getting DMs and messages and pings and alerts. And to be in a sanctuary where there's none of that is such a, a wonderful thing to have when you can create that, you know, within your day. What have you learned about quiet time?
1: I think it's one of the most underrated things that society needs today. I definitely think that more people should need, need to learn how to incorporate that into their life whether that's just being by yourself, whether that's just meditation. For me, quiet time has allowed me a good deal of to reset and to introspect, you know, and not like forcefully introspect, but kind of just your your mind starts wandering and you start reflecting on the past days, what you're grateful for, what really irked you, right? And when you have that, then you can really establish, okay, what are the things that you really enjoyed, and what are the things that you can improve on? because i think that if you are constantly being engaged with others yes i i i'm an extrovert and i enjoy being with others but you need to prioritize yourself and if you're constantly engaged with others you engage in their business their priorities i think that the only way that you can really help people that you can really help the world is if you know yourself and if you can reset yourself and put yourself on in a, in a in a solid foundation you know maybe this is once a day once a week and just make sure that you know who you are and that you can collectively re-energize, you know. So one of the things that I'm really grateful I did, and this is one of the hardest things I did, wasn't even quitting my job. Was uh, I did a 10-day uh, silent meditation retreat, and so for 10 days I didn't I didn't speak a word. You know that that was the longest I've gone. And so what we would do is you wake up at 4 a.m. every day, and you would meditate for 10 hours, right? And you would eat two meals and. The entire time, you're surrounded by 30 other people, but you don't look anyone in the eye. You don't make body contact or bodily, any um bodily gestures, right? And so you are your own island of solitude. And in the first couple of days, you're just bored because you're like, what is there to do? You don't have any electronics. There's no communication. But then on the last day, you start to really, really analyze yourself. You start, you start to really understand who you are on a level that's much deeper than a Myers-Briggs. And so that, for me, was an eye-opener of like just the importance of quietude, just the importance of introspection. So I always emphasize that in
0: this day and age. That's awesome. You, so you made it through the 10 days of Vipassana. Is that what the program you were in? That's correct, yeah. So was there ever a moment in Vipassana where you thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the 10 days? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, the day three, day four, it was excruciating. I mean, like, your mind is always racing, right? And so one of the things they teach you in, in meditation, in meditation, is that, you know, kind of think of your mind as this laundry machine where you have all these thoughts and like the clothes are bouncing around and you're, you're being tossed amongst the clothes, right? And so what meditation kind of enables you to do is like look at, enables you to take your, your point of view outside of the, the drying machine, the washing machine, and as if you're looking at all these emotions from the outside. So for the first couple of days, like I was very much in the washing machine. I was being tossed with my emotions. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Oh my goodness, this meditation is stupid. What the hell am I doing here? And so you always have these doubts. Whether out of sheer boredom or patience, to start observing these thoughts. And that was really beneficial. And the other thing is that, you know, you're not used to not talking. You're not used to sitting in a place for so long. So there is pain. But I think that that pain really enabled me to just observe it to just observe that pain, right? Because you can't do anything about it. You can't resist because the more you resist, and it's like life, the more you resist, the harder it's going to become. So if you can accept it and acknowledge it and not try to deny it, then I think that's a whole game changer. And I think I really internalized that notion for myself.
0: So what was the first moment that you got out of the 10-day retreat? What was the first thing you did? I ate a really big carne asada burrito. I was so hungry. (laughs) <laughs> so there's another concept I really love in your article and you talk about running into your fear and, and building your story and I love that because so many people don't do things because they are fearful of it and they're comfortable and they often don't have clarity about that fear which if they did it, it might make it easier for them to make some changes but you have a quote in here that says you know it's running along a conventional path doesn't take much thought but running against one does so what keeps people drawn to conventionality
1: I think it's acceptance I think it's people want to be accepted they want this comfort of stability they want to be accepted by others in their community they want to make sure that at the end of the day that you know there is this idea that if everyone's going along the same river then you're going along the same river as well and you are in an emotional, financial setting that that works well for you, and you don't have to question it, right? Whereas I think for me, it was I personally have always really admired people who have stories, people who have built themselves, or people who have their own opinions, because doing so requires an awareness, like, hey, I'm different, and that's okay. I think that everyone has their, you know, unique side of them where they don't show, you know, they go to their room, they go into their home and they're just like there's quirky little individual. And I think everyone has that. But I think a lot of people suppress that when they get outside. And I can understand that. When I say, you know, like running into your fear or running along a conventional path, it's also like, what are you afraid of? And when you run into that fear, suddenly there's a lot more reasons why you're afraid of that suddenly there's a lot more clarity. Suddenly you're a lot more aware of your boundaries. Because if you think of your comfort zone as literally a box, right, and you stay within that, you're never going to know what you could achieve outside because you're always in that center of the box. But if you run into your fear, you're constantly ramming yourself against the, the edges of that box. And because you're aware of your boundary, you inherently will push it. You're inherently just going to keep pushing that boundary. Maybe it's baby steps, but I think doing so raises a lot more awareness of why are you afraid? Why are you not willing to quit your job or take that major step that you want to do that to get to where you are? And when people are more aware, when people are a lot when they when people are fearful, there's a lot more justification. There's a lot more of a rant a story of like, oh my goodness, there was this conflict in my life and this is how I overcame it. And now I want to talk to you more about it. And I think there's much more richness in that and trying to overcome your personal conflict than just staying in your, yeah, man, I just did what everyone else did. End of story.
0: You talk about in your article around how so many people focus on the idea of being successful when really what they need to be focusing on is the idea of being or doing something meaningful. So swap the word successful or meaningful. And I think that's a very, Powerful concept. I think it's one that's in line with values based thinking, which I think is uh, has is emerging at an incredible rate today. What does it mean for you? So swapping
1: the word successful for meaningful. So that was something that I realized also on my meditation retreat. So when I think of success, and this is you know college, I thought of I would, I envisioned this grand grandiose executive or this. You know, when I was in the kitchen, I was thinking of, like, making it big, being the next Anthony Bourdain, or, you know, traveling, I was, like, the next, again, Anthony Bourdain, hopping from food from country to country, and, and just having a mass admiring on YouTube, or, you know, all these things of, like, what success visually entails, but then you actually get into that, right? You actually get into this physical manifestation, okay, if I'm successful, I work in tech, but then you realize tech doesn't, isn't successful, like, it's not happy, For you, or somewhere the kitchen isn't happy for you. And then you realize that success is not derived off these external validation or these external titles. Is what does that title enable you to do? So, for example, if I'm a director of a company, it's not the fact that I'm a director that I'm successful, it's that I enable people to complete a job. I enable people, I enable the world to work a little bit more and organize people's lives. And, you know, that's the meaning that it gives, right? Or you say, hey, I'm a chef. And hey, people think I'm successful, but I don't care about the title. I just care about creating experiences that people really enjoy. And so on that level, I don't think that you need to be this grandiose CEO, this grandiose DJ or fashion designer. You just have to be someone that says, hey, how can I contribute to someone else's life? What impact do I want to make? And just coincidentally, what title falls under that? Because then you're living for the values. Then you're living for the... The qualities that you sometimes you can't put a title on. And suddenly the mo, the stay at home mom, she's successful by a lot of means. She's raising a kid. Teachers are successful. Success isn't doesn't have to be merited to this grandiose, lofty executive suite. I don't think it has to be like that at all.
0: It doesn't. And it's unfortunately it's the so many get sucked into is this idea of status and, and things like that. What's your favorite food? Oh, favorite
1: food. Oh, man, I have so many. Uh, I really like Thai food. Again, I really enjoy food. I don't have a specific... Uh, actually, I do. I I don't remember the name of the street food in, in Thailand, but I'm a big fan of cuisines with bold flavors and where they really allow the ingredients to speak for themselves. So Thai food and Mediterranean food, definitely my my top two.
0: That's awesome. So, Clarence, someone is listening to this right now and is inspired by your story but they don't know how to take the next step to leap into their fear. What do you what do you say to the person that feels stuck?
1: So to the person I would say who is stuck, I would say that one that if you take that leap, first congratulations, that's the first step. And second, is that life is a journey, and so remember that the fear that you have right now might be have this, been the same fear that you experienced when you were trying to decide what college you wanted to go to or what uh, what major you want to choose when you were in college, right? And then you realize when you look back that fear, well, granted, it was good. Everything worked out. Everything was okay. You still graduated from college. You're okay. You still are living. You still have a family and friends. And so I would say that when you make that jump, congratulations. Don't Internalize this current moment. I think you need people need to be aware of the journey that they're on and saying, how does this step enable me to go on the higher journey of what I want to achieve? How how does it answer the why? Right? How is this progressing to that? And suddenly you have a lot more internal validation. Like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I am making this really hard decision. The second advice I would tell, or the, the third piece of advice I would say is to be kind to yourself, to be self-compassionate. I don't think that's done well enough today. I think that, again, with a lot of the social media expectations and with a lot of people being bombarded by what success, by, you know, you have to know what you're doing all the time, what that means is that people are not kind enough to themselves and saying, hey, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be unsure of this future or to be sad, right? Like, don't block that emotion. It's okay. Okay. So that same compassion you would show to a friend who's really going through a tough time, you can show that compassion to yourself, right? And I think that when you do that, when you can show that kindness, I think that carries a long way.
0: It sure does. So Clarence, how can our listeners continue to follow you and your work?
1: For sure. Yeah. So I am on Instagram at hey.clarence. And in addition, um, I enjoy writing my Medium articles so they can find my Medium at Clarence Chang. So that's my name, C L A R E N C E, Chang C H A N G. Guys, always gonna have, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I work at Bungie, which is a company that I'm helping establish and helping find. And I'm always happy to answer any questions there as well.
0: That's awesome. And we'll post those in the uh, show notes for the folks that are listening now and clarence this has been a wonderful conversation thank you so much thank you jacob absolutely and for all of our listeners be sure to tune in next week for another exciting show thank you clarence
1: thank you for joining us for this episode of the discover your values podcast Are you ready to explore your values and create your best life? Visit
0: discoveryourvalues.com and download our workbook to begin your journey.